Hello, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I'm the pastor of Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. I'm looking to come alongside Latter-day Saints reading through the Old Testament this year and to offer some thoughts from the Bible that may provoke your thinking in how to consider what you're reading. As we make our way through the book of Exodus, there are two main themes that I want you to, to consider. One is the holiness of God. We saw that last week in the burning bush scenario where the angel of the Lord, God himself, was speaking to Moses out of the bush that was burning yet was not consumed. And he said to Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Take your sandals off. Where God is, and he's manifesting his presence in a powerful way such as that. That's holy ground. I actually grew up next to a, a church building, and <clears throat> growing up, I, I didn't have the best mouth. I, I used to curse like a sailor, but I was always afraid to curse when I would walk over the property line from my property to the church building that was next door. I thought, boy, that's that's holy ground. You're not supposed to cuss over there. <laughs> kind of a silly thought. Well, where Moses was standing in front of the burning bush, that truly was holy ground, and he was to take his sandals off. And over and over again in the book of Exodus, we're going to see the holiness of God. We'll see it today. But another thing I want you to consider alongside that thought is the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. I mentioned last week that the gospel of John really pairs well with the book of Exodus. There's a lot of typology going on in the book of Exodus that is discussed in the New Testament finding its ultimate expression and substance in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So keep an eye out for that too. We're going to be seeing a lot of that both this week and next week. Well, uh, let's get into the text, shall we? Starting in Exodus chapter 7. And in Exodus chapter 7, you have the Lord speaking to Moses, calling him and Aaron, his brother, to go to Pharaoh. So let's just start reading in Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Okay, so Moses is like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron is like Moses' prophet. Because Moses, of course, doesn't want to speak before Pharaoh. He's got the speech impediment and doesn't want to have to you know, make a fool of himself kind of interesting. He was using it at one time as an excuse, like, God, I can't, I can't be your spokesman. I can't speak very well. And God says, eh, Moses, we're going to, here's what's going to happen. You will be as God to Pharaoh and Aaron's going to be like your prophet. And you're going to, you guys are going to communicate to Pharaoh. I'm going to use you, Moses. So here's what's going to happen. Verse two, you shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Now, this is pretty interesting, because you're going to see in the back and forth between God and Pharaoh, there are times when it says that Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and there are times when it says God hardens Pharaoh's heart. But right here, the very first talk we have of it in 7.3, God says, this is generally how you can sum up what's going to happen. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. 
Are you comfortable with that? Uncomfortable with that? Doesn't really matter because that's what happened. God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Okay, verse 4, chapter 7, verse 4. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, whoa, wait a second. It's like these two ideas are connected. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. That's what's being stated here. Huh. It's almost like Pharaoh didn't have absolute libertarian free will here, did he? Hmm. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Verse 4. Sorry. I got distracted. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by my great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand upon Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it as the Lord commanded them. Thus they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, uh, we do need to answer the question, what's going on with Pharaoh here? Why is it that Pharaoh um, is going to have a hardened heart from God? Why is it that Pharaoh will not listen to Moses and Aaron? And how did Pharaoh even get in his position in the first place? (laughs) Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, And the New Testament does have some commentary on that. So let's check out the New Testament in Romans 9. If you're watching on video, I've got it right here in this column. Romans chapter 9, verse 14, we are joining the middle of a discussion where Paul is talking about God's absolute freedom to choose which of his creatures he's going to use for his purposes on the earth. He's free in his sovereignty to choose to save some and use them to build a nation out of some or to choose to not use some. Pretty interesting uh, doctrine there. God is totally free to do what he likes. If you have trouble saying that, you may want to check yourself because that's a pretty important aspect of who God is. God is absolutely free to do what he likes. We like to think of ourselves as absolutely free to do whatever we like. Boy, that is just so not true. We are not God, but God is God and he is absolutely free. Romans 9.14, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses... I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on man who wills, on the man who wills, or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. And here's our part about Pharaoh. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Well, this is a quotation from Exodus 9. And so since we can have both of them up at the same time, let me go over to Exodus 9. It's actually, let's start in verse 13. This is what Paul's referencing. As Moses and Aaron confront Pharaoh and his heart is hardened, as he does not listen to them, as he doesn't let the people go, and as God sends plagues upon Egypt. Surely you know the story. Ten plagues in total. We're in the middle of those plagues. Pharaoh is not listening to Moses. Well, in Exodus 9.13, the Lord said to Moses, 
Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you, and your people with pestilence, you would have then been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. So if you're looking on the screen, you can compare Exodus 9.16 with Romans 9.17. That's what Paul is referring to. God is raising up Pharaoh. He's in charge of what kings exist. This is Romans 13, and I think Proverbs 21.1 talks about the king's hand is in the heart of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wishes. God is the one who establishes these individual rulers in the earth. It's up to him. We like to think that you know it's up to us by voting and things like that. Well, God's actually in charge of all that. And nothing happens against what exactly what he wants to happen. And Pharaoh is in this position by God's power, and God has allowed him to remain, or God has raised him up, in order to show his power, God's power, and to proclaim his name, God's name, through all the earth. Now, this is, uh, this is pretty remarkable, which is why I'm remarking on it, I guess, huh? God is using Pharaoh as somebody through whom God's power will be shown. And how is that? Well, if you know the story, Pharaoh is not letting the Israelites go. He's not letting God's people go. And so God is raining down all these plagues. What is happening when God is raining down all these plagues on Egypt? He is, of course, displaying his power. Who is able to, who's able to bring plagues on a nation? Only God can do that, right? He's touching that nation and affecting that nation the way he desires by his power. And he's using Pharaoh that he has raised up, whose heart he has hardened, who will not listen to his prophets. He has raised him up so that God's name may be proclaimed throughout the earth. As everybody hears what's going on in Egypt, all this destruction going on in Egypt, it has to be, well, the God of the Hebrews, as God referred to himself there. He told Moses that's how he's to be referred to. The God of the Hebrews, the God of the Israelites, he is defending his people. He is, he is saving his people. He's affecting change for his people. And by so doing, his name is being proclaimed throughout the earth. So God has saved for himself a people. He has led them down into captivity. He has raised up the leader of that, that captivity in Egypt, Pharaoh, he has hardened Pharaoh's heart. He has caused Pharaoh not to hear his prophets so that he can display his power and make his name famous throughout the whole earth. God is doing all of this for his own glory. He's doing all of this to display his covenant faithfulness to his people because he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Moses. He's passed on that covenant faithfulness to the whole nation of Israel with now Moses and Aaron leading them. Isn't this incredible? That's how big God is. That's how sovereign God is. 
And this is how holy God is, that a nation that refuses him, a leader that rejects him, is going to face his wrath. Where does God's wrath come from through all these plagues? It comes from his holiness. God displays his wrath because he is holy. And what can a truly holy being do in response to sin and rebellion? That truly holy being can only have wrath toward rebellion and toward sin. And that's what we're going to see next. We're going to look at the 10th and final plague. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter, ah, no, 11. Exodus 11, starting in verse 4. Moses here is interacting with uh, Pharaoh and his servants. And in verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord, this is Moses speaking, About midnight I am going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be again. God is saying, in Egypt, there's going to come such a travesty that it's going to be the number one affliction in all the afflictions that there's ever been in Egypt. He is going to take the firstborn of every home in Egypt from Pharaoh's household to the household of the slave girl. Pretty comprehensive. And this did happen. You can see this in chapter 12. We'll just check that out briefly. Chapter 12, verse 29. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of cattle, Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Whoa! There is death happening. God is killing the firstborn in every home. This is an action of God resulting in the death of firstborns, so that every home in Egypt was affected by this. How on earth could God do such a thing? God is holy, isn't he? Absolutely holy. What happens when a being who is sinful enters the presence of a being who is holy? One of them is going to die, and it won't be the holy one. What happens when God says, if you do this, then I'm going to do that. If you won't let my people go, then I am going to take your firstborn. Well, if someone challenges him on that, God is going to win because God's word must stand and man cannot thwart the plan of God. Now, Israel was a part of all of this, of course. They're in the land of Egypt, and they were not exempt from the death of the firstborn just because they were Israelites. There was something they had to do too. Earlier in the chapter of Exodus 12, in verse 3, Moses was to speak to all the congregation of Israel saying this, On the 10th of this month, 
They are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. And now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. We'll drop down to verse 12. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night. And will strike down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So here we have the event of the Passover. Surely you've, you've heard of the Passover. This is what's taking place now in Israel, that they were to take an unblemished lamb and to put blood on doorposts that God would pass over their home and they would not suffer the fate of the Egyptians with the death of the firstborn. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot to take in. But this was a requirement in Israel because God's holiness demanded that this happen. There's no other reason. Because God is holy, there is consequences for rebellion. And this is one of the consequences. God chose that the firstborn would die, the tenth and final plague in Egypt. And Israel would be exempt if they took an unblemished lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. Now there's more to that, but the uh, what's causing all of this is the holiness of God. Now one more thing I want to show you. One more thing for this lesson out of the Bible, and that's in Exodus chapter 13, if I can get to the right screen here. Exodus 13, after God has passed through and taken the firstborn in the land of Egypt and Israel has been passed over because they put the blood on their doorposts. After that, chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast, it belongs to me. So after the death of the firstborn in Egypt, and uh, this is before they passed through the Red Sea, but after that tenth and final plague, you have God calling Israel to consecrate the firstborn, not just of people, but of beasts, as being set apart for God. Now, the, the discussion of firstborn goes all the way back to Genesis, doesn't it? When we consider uh, Jacob and Esau, and how it was amazing that the older was going to actually serve the younger instead of the younger serving the older, because there was this firstborn concept in their culture at that time that the firstborn son had a special inheritance, had a special portion, and had a special purpose in the house. Well, here God is instituting a special consecration of the firstborn that Israel was to set apart the firstborn of 
people and of beasts as being consecrated to the Lord, set apart, sanctified to God in a special way after the death of the firstborn plague in Egypt. Now, I want to finish with just a few thoughts on tying this to the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you remember from last week, I'm assuming you listened to that one, the burning in the burning bush scenario where the angel of the Lord was speaking to Moses, that was the son of God. The angel of the Lord is the son of God. And he was the one speaking to Moses from the bush. And when Israel now is being eventually, of course, led out of Egypt through the amazing parting of the Red Sea exodus, Jesus is the one who's leading them out. He called Moses from the bush, and he's actually going to be leading his people as their captain out of Egypt because he is God. He is the one true God, and he is the God of Israel, the faithful God who keeps covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's leading them, leading them through. Now, of course, we have a lot more knowledge and revelation than the Israelites did. But we look back on that and say, that's, that's Jesus Christ. The person we come to know is Jesus Christ, who was doing this amazing work in Israel. But we also see through the Passover event that we just looked at, Jesus became the ultimate Passover, not just for Israel, but for the church, not just for the nation of Israel, but for the multi-ethnic church that he has built. In 2 Corinthians, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Christ is called our Passover. Christ is our ultimate Passover. And that whole event, which became a memorial meal that Israel was to observe every year to remember what God did in Egypt, that was to lead them to this coming Christ. As a nation, they were to have so embedded in them this sacrifice that saved them, that when Jesus came along and made the ultimate sacrifice that ultimately saved them, they would look upon him and say, he is our ultimate Passover lamb. And also, as we think about the firstborn being consecrated, Jesus is also the ultimate firstborn, isn't he? Not that Jesus was ever born or ever created, but he holds firstborn status over all creation. This is Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus is the firstborn over all that has been created. He is ultimate authority. He has the ultimate position of privilege. He has the ultimate position of inheritance and portion. Not that he is God's literal firstborn, like the literal offspring of God being the first one born. Scripture is very clear that that's not the case. Jesus did not teach that way. He was not created. He was never made, but he has always been eternally the Son of God, and he holds the position as firstborn, uh, kind of like David, who also wasn't the firstborn in a literal sense. David was the youngest of his brothers, kind of like the runt of the litter. But in Psalm 89, God says that he has made David his firstborn. He has placed David Despite his position in his family, his rank in his family, he has made David the firstborn. He gave him a position of privilege and rank, and Jesus Christ holds that position for all eternity as the Son of God. He is the firstborn over all creation. 
And he's ultimately consecrated, isn't he? Ultimately set apart. He is ultimately holy. And because he is ultimately consecrated as the firstborn, ultimately holy, and he is God with all power and all authority, because Pharaoh was rebelling against him, he sent all these plagues to continue to protect his people and to be the captain, leader of his people in leading them out of Exodus or out of Egypt through the Exodus, showing that he is the all-powerful, faithful, good God. So some amazing stuff going on in the, uh, in the book of Exodus. Hope that it was helpful to see some of the things that I brought to light. Hopefully this will give you some things to think about and some conversation starters perchance as you enter into your time of study uh, with your uh, church this Sunday. So remember that God is holy and that the book of Exodus foreshadows the coming of Christ. Look for the holiness of God in this book. Don't get so caught up in what man is doing. That's important to see those details, but don't see that as that is just man acting in a vacuum. God is actually the one at work weaving together his story, right? God is the one in charge of all this, putting together exactly what he wants to happen. And I want you to reckon with that sovereign holiness of God in this book. Again, hope this has been helpful. Feel free to reach out to me if there's uh, anything of interest, if you have any questions, if there's anything I could do better. Thanks for joining me. God bless.